To say we're a heavenly people doesn't mean that our mind is in the clouds. It means that we live according to God's eternal regal purposes in Jesus Christ who is presently ruling and reigning. The eternal mindset helps us bear under difficulty. It's why we aren't hopeless. Joyless and hopeless men are faithless men. Faithful Christians in any culture can be humble, can be gracious, can be like lambs, but they will be seen as enemies of the state because of this. Jesus is Lord. Welcome to Lion Sight, the podcast for dark times. Lion Sight exists to coach Christians to think, decide, and act in the real world. And I'm sitting here again today with Lion Sight coach and founder Mike Thiessen. Mike, it's good to talk to you today and uh, good to get back on for another episode with so much going on. Uh, we almost can't broadcast fast enough to keep up with how things are changing. And uh, I'm really eager to hear uh, what you're going to bring to us today. I know you've been spending some time in the public sphere talking to um, some notable individuals, and I'd, I'd love to hear where you're going with those conversations and how you're bringing some of the Christian worldview into the public space. Yeah, that's great. Tim, uh, it's good to be with you. Thank you for uh, hosting our podcast. Uh, today we have a real treat. Um, we're going to go over some topics that you and I like to talk about. We kind of like to rant at each other about topics like, you know, should the church be open? And what does that look like at this time when, you know, Pastor James Coates is in Alberta sitting in a jail cell because he opened his church? And is that right or wrong? Tim, what are you hearing about uh, Pastor James Coates? Uh, when you talk to other Christians, are they concerned for him? Are they thinking he gets his just desserts for being so horrible and opening his church? Yeah. Uh, what, what are you experiencing? Yeah, so I have been just been speaking to some local pastors um, in the last couple of days, and we had a great prayer meeting for him the other day uh, among some of the members of our church, um, just lifting him up. And I mean, it's unimaginable to be away from your family um, for the reasons that he is. And so we've been reaching out to try to encourage him uh, from among some of the local pastors, and I'm amazed at how little uh, little there is to offer. Um, People, yeah, they're just saying, well, he violated the health codes. He's not being persecuted for being a Christian. He's being persecuted for being anti-health. Good. It's a good point that you get at, and this is the heart of the issue, is that Christians tend to think of their their Christian world totally separate from every other world. So he's just he's not being persecuted for being a Christian per se. He's just being persecuted for doing Christianly things per se. And they just aren't acceptable right now. If Christian things aren't healthy for people, then then Christianity has to change to stay healthy. That's sort of that's sort of what we're being told. And there's a lot of folks who are lining up and saying, "Yeah, maybe we do need to reinvent Christianity. Maybe meeting for church is pretty unsanitary." So unfortunately, that that's how a lot of Christians are thinking, and um, not not getting a whole lot of positive response in terms of wanting to comfort a guy or support a guy who's literally in a jail cell for holding public uh, physical church worship services, which, you know, I'd like to note has been happening for 2,000 plus years, largely uninterrupted. Yeah, for those of you who are not aware, um, Pastor Coates uh, leads a church in Edmonton, Alberta, 
and they just continued to hold worship services. And he was, um, he turned himself in, the, the RCMP asked him to turn himself in, and then he was um, held, and he's had his bail hearing, but his uh, one of the requirements of his bail hearing to be released would be that he would agree to not hold any further worship services. So uh, the man says in his conscience he can't agree to that, and so he's going to have to uh, remain in prison until his uh, pending trial. So, you know, that that's one of the conversations that uh, Derek uh, Sloan and myself, as two Christian men, were able to have. Um, we're going to let Derek, as a politician, answer that question for us. I've been volunteering with an organization called the Liberty Coalition Canada. I've been working with them as a campaign manager. And so you're going to hear a little bit of that preamble on our first clip. Uh, enjoy. And then we're going to come back. Derek, thanks for sitting down with me and having a little uh, chat over tea. It's great to have you here. Glad to be here, Michael. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. So uh, Derek and I, you are, uh, you and I are Christian brothers and we've been having some conversations around uh, politics and the church. Uh, and I really would appreciate uh, your opinion on a few topics that keep coming up uh, with me as I converse with uh, uh, convicted Christians, people who love the law, they love our country, uh, they're deeply respectful of government, Mm -hmm. and uh, looking for ways to understand our current situation. So, um, Derek, a lot of conversation goes on, particularly right now online, around the idea of civil disobedience. Um, some of us have tried to keep our churches open, and uh, we've had wonderful, pleasant visits from the police, and uh, some of us face charges. And that really unsettles a lot of Christians. They think we're being uh, disrespectful of the government. They think we're um, being unlawful. Uh, So we've tried to explain it that this is just our method of talking to our government. They're they're not listening to, they're they're arresting people around protests. They're not listening to us when we are writing our letters and when we're talking to the health unit. Uh, As a member of parliament, what would be your perspective on what the church should do or or what we are doing? So... um, yeah, can you share the share some information with us? Well, that's a good good question, and uh, you know, I would note that in our uh, political tradition, our, our democratic tradition, um, protest, uh, lawful prote- protest, is as valuable a way of communicating as is voting, as is um, you know uh, writing things, as is uh, many. It's a it's a legitimate uh, facet of public life. And um, we saw a variety of, of protests this last year. We've seen protests, um, you know, highlighting, uh, you know, uh, police violence and brutality. We've seen uh, all number of protests on, on many issues. And um, I don't think 
anybody thinks that those protests in and of themselves are illegitimate. There, there have been concerns that certain protests, uh, you know, may have resulted in um, vandalism and those types of things. But the very act of protest itself is something that's ingrained deeply in our society and is, is something that is one of our rights. We're, we're free to, uh, to speak. We're free to uh, have opinions and we're also free to protest government decisions. And I feel that that is something entirely distinct from, for example, um, simply breaking the law. So, so protesting is something that we're permitted to do, and it's entirely different than going on a crime spree or, or, or vandalizing something or breaking any other law. A protest is, is a valuable um, tool, and it can be used, for example, to trigger a court case to determine if something's even constitutional. So these are, uh, you know, the courts are a check on constitutional overreach, and sometimes lawful protests are ways to bring these issues to a legal head and get a determination from the courts. So I think it's entirely different than, you know, going 140 in a, in a hundred uh, on the highway or something. I mean, this, this is a different uh, sort of issue. So if I go 140 on the highway, I should slow down. Just, just you. Yeah. You deserve okay. the ticket you're going to get. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's, okay. Fair enough. I've been rebuked. Um, so can you, you mentioned a word there. You mentioned lawful protest. Um, an important word to me is peaceful protest, um, flat out. Most of the Christians that, uh, are commenting on my Facebook feed and talking to me, they don't think that me going to church on Sunday, um, breaking any, uh, of the capacity, uh, restrictions right now, they would say that's just unlawful. It's flat out unlawful. Um, can you help me? Uh, dialogue with them and, and can you help them understand maybe what you mean by a lawful protest that currently uh, with these restrictions is being interpreted as unlawful? Well, if, if the law in question is not proportional, which is something that a court has to decide, then it's, then it would be unconstitutional. It would be against the charter of rights and freedoms. Unfortunately, we haven't had a definitive pronouncement from a court on these issues, but I think it would be fully within the the right of a uh, uh, um, a fastidious citizen to maybe push the question in terms of opening their church, in terms of going to church. Um, these are questions that, at the end of the day, the court could decide in your favor and say, "No, this law has been unconstitutional this whole time." So, I think this again is is part of the way that we can be salt and light in, in the world is by having a, you know, a say on how these things operate. And as we've discussed, you know, I feel these blanket lockdown restrictions, particularly on churches are, are not justifiable given the circumstances. And so I think, you know, particularly in the case where it impacts religious observance, Christian observance, uh, that certainly, um, you know, uh, is within the sphere of something that a Christian can and should be concerned about. You know, for example, back to our speed limit analogy, let's say the speed limit on the 401 was 90. And we could all grumble and say, listen, that's a bit too slow and et cetera. And we could write our members of provincial parliament and all that. But, you know, that would be a law that arguably could say, well, listen, that's that really has nothing to do with us being Christians. That's just the way it is. We can complain about it. But this is this is hinging directly on your 
observance as a, as a faithful follower of Christ. And I think by all means in this country, people should feel free to utilize uh, every legitimate um, mechanism of peaceful protest. And uh, if it means pushing something forward, that it goes to court. So it is determined whether it's constitutional or not. That happened. That's that's happened hundreds of times in our history. And there's nothing wrong uh, with 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 pushing things forward in that manner. You mentioned that word uh, proportional. Um, so if I did do 110, what would not be a proportional punishment would be a hundred thousand dollar fine and up to a year in jail. That's a that's a very good point. Right. So yeah. you know we have. We took a bunch of young families and uh, vibrant seniors ready to worship the Lord. We did some baptisms. We sang some songs, worshiped the Lord. And uh, I potentially face a $100,000 fine and a year in jail. That's not proportional in any sense, even to a health measure or a a speeding violation. Um, Back to, let's go back to peaceful. It seems draconian to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's way out of proportion to, uh, you know, the, the offense in question. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, back to the word peaceful. So again, I, I, it's my understanding that the qualification of voicing your opinion in opposition to the government at a time when you disagree with the government, that the defining character, which I can't think of another protest that is more defining about peace than coming and worshiping the living God. Mm-hmm. Um, that the defining character of the protest is to be peaceable to nonviolent, non vandalism. And so um, again, personally, that's why I'm comfortable saying, do you know what? I really question the overreach here, but we are being absolutely peaceful. <laughs> our, our people in our church want to take the police officers looking, watching us cookies and they want to make sure their, you know, cars are warm enough and that they're doing okay. And um, so uh, I really, you know, thank you for your perspective. This is a leading question. So you just tell me to yes or no, or however you want to answer it. But would you go as far to say, look, churches open up. Like if I keep saying, if 200 churches open tomorrow, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Uh, would you go as far to join me to say that? Or uh, what, what would you be your thoughts on that? Well, I think, listen, we've, we've heard in other jurisdictions around the world, for, for example, the UK, who uh, is, is doing many serious things with respect to COVID-19, but churches are open. There's no limitations on, on numbers or, or anything like that because they understand the importance of uh, commun- communal worship. And um, I don't think there's any reason why that shouldn't be the case here. I think pastors um, ought to uh, open and ought to um, provide that space of solace. Now, I'd imagine many people, maybe even up to half of the congregation would not come. I mean, for various reasons, and that's fine in a free country that's uh, up to people to make that choice. But I believe that churches should be open for those that that want to have that community. That's great. Yeah, we use the word refuge. You know, we've got a ton of people who want to be open because the church is a safe refuge for them. Of course, ultimately, their refuge is in Christ, uh, his saving grace on the cross and his resurrection. And and we 
put our ultimate hope and, and, uh, we take our ultimate refuge in that eternal hope. Mm-hmm. But uh, just even going through the day-to-day uh, struggle of what it is to be a Canadian right now, people find a, a, a great joy in just sitting under the teaching of the word, singing songs that are drawing their minds to the Lord and then being together as human beings. So, yeah, thank you for that. Um, another question that you and I have um briefly discussed in private, uh, is the question about, um, being shamed for having a principled view. Um, again, in, in my online presence and within my region and my community with the Christians that I'm speaking to, they seem to have this impression that if you're receiving any flack publicly, Mm -hmm. it's your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your tone is mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, your um, you're not being nice. You're you're not particularly on this issue of lockdowns. You're not thinking of other people's health and safety. And so, of course, you deserve the shaming that you're getting publicly. So, you've had a little bit of experience with that recently, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you've just recently gone through? Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've borne the brunt of, you know, public media attacks on several occasions over the last year. Um, and one, you know, one thing that I would hear from, you know, there's a, there's a segment of well-meaning Christians who have this idea that, like you said, if you're getting into any trouble at all, it's because you made, you did something wrong. You're not being Christ-like enough, or you need to moderate, you know, your temperament or your tone or, or any of these things. Um, and I think that's false. Yes, there is. Of course there is. It is possible to bring trouble upon yourself unnecessarily by being unwise. And we, we should always be, you know, measured and, uh, respectful in our tone. But beyond that, if we are ever standing for anything worth standing for, we will create division, right? I mean, Christ himself said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Right. I, you know, you will have trouble and persecution in this world. And, and his point in saying that was, was not to say that he was intentionally bringing, uh, um, conflict, but simply to say that, you know, the gospel itself, uh, or anything worth fighting for will in, will inherently, uh, create opposition. So there will be people that, um, and there's, you know, there's some phrases in some, some other languages, uh, along the lines of, you know, the person who has no enemies is, is useless because if you're not, you know, doing something worthwhile inherently breeds opposition from at least somebody, right? Doing nothing means no one will oppose you. Right. So the, you know, that attitude by those well-meaning Christians is false. Um, there's a lot of things going wrong in, in the world today and standing up against them will, will engender opposition and it'll, it'll also engender, you know, positivity and, and support from other groups. But, you know, anytime you try and create change, there will be opposition. And, you know, if we look at Christ, uh, you know, someone who lived a perfect life, a holy life, um, no one spoke more Christ-like than Christ. Right. Uh, yeah. He had more opposition than, than, than any one of us will, will likely ever have. Right. A, a severe opposition uh, for his entire working ministry. Right. So, um, you know, if anything, conflict is a, is, is a sign 
that you're in, you're headed in the right direction. You know, now, you know, provide, you know, provided you're, you're being measured, respectful and, uh, um, reasonable, uh, if you're doing those things, then, and you're still getting opposition, that's a sign that you're, you're headed in the right direction. Yeah. It's interesting that, uh, Paul says to the young and kind of overconfident uh, Corinthian church, you know, that, um, they're Kings and, and they, they have all of these things in Christ. Um, and then he transitions in his thought and he says, but you know, you're, you're not quite yet following in our example where we are the scum of the earth, you know, and he goes, you know, list and example after example about how, you know, they just can't climb out of the shame uh, that goes along with walking with Christ or standing up for a just cause. And Paul says, I don't say this to shame you. I say this to warn you. And so we do have just this example and, and inevitably I, I think, Christians believe that because the scriptures teach it by command and by example, but, but it always leads them to the question, well, you know, if, if my neighbor doesn't like me, how am I supposed to win them to Christ? So, Mm -hmm. you know, how is this going to affect your witness? Mm -hmm. So can you comment a little bit on how maybe standing up in the past has gone really well for you, even though it might be a, a hitting the news uh, the news headlines and there might be a flurry of controversy. Is there an example in your personal, uh, either Christian walk or your political life that you could share with us about standing up for something went really well? Yeah. So, I mean, on a personal level, uh, people do like me. I mean, my na- my neighbors do like me and on a personal level, I try and be as pleasant as possible. Um, but on a public level, when you're a public facing person as a pastor or a politician, um, getting, you know, flack or, or controversy in the media is actually a sign that you're, you're onto something, you're, uh, pushing buttons. So, you know, I don't think we need to be afraid of public controversy. I mean, um, you know, our, our relationships with our neighbors should probably be good. There's no, there's not really a good reason to have controversy with your neighbor per se. Um, and you know, in Proverbs, it says that, you know, even, uh, even the wicked get, will get along with a righteous person. Listen, we can, we can maintain those personal relationships just fine. Um, but in a, in a public facing context, there's nothing wrong with controversy. And in, and in this sort of divided age, this politically correct age, uh, getting that controversy is means you're probably onto something good. And frankly, in, in my uh, career, I, I've never sought controversy, but controversy has always been helpful to establish a, who my real friends are. B um, it's hit a nerve of people who have felt unrepresented and underrepresented in terms of what they believe. And um, it's provided a, a legion of supporters for me that far outnumber the, the, the haters, the, the haters come and go in a weekend, but the, the legion, you know, uh, uh, the legions of supporters uh, trickle in over months and years. And um, I've, I have no regrets uh, for any of the flack that I've received. Yeah. When I speak to a number of the pastors that are working um, alongside the Liberty coalition, we have the exact same, same type of stories. You know, we've got, people who are coming to our churches who are just broken and beat up in society. We've got small businesses down the road saying, I can't believe the police put a sign outside of your church 
we know that by you trying to stay open, you're also trying to represent us as small businesses. Um, I've had conversations with at least four businesses within a stone's throw of our church who have all said, we're right behind you. And um, uh, that's, that's been very encouraging because you're, you're right. You find out who your friends are and um, you know, it's never comfortable to take shame for the gospel, but in reality uh, we need, to remind the church again, and all of us need to be reminded, I'm just on this journey too, right? That um, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. And yet it is the power of God to those who are being saved. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the same is reflected, you know, maybe one step away with, on, with like you just said, on any just cause, mm-hmm. Uh, to those who are being saved by the just cause, uh, it, uh, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And to those who are, don't understand what you're doing, you're just going to get flack for it. And, and, and I would add, especially in this day and age, we don't have enough voices of dissent. We don't at all. I mean, listen, like if we had, you know, a thousand prominent Christians on TV, um, um, you know, raising voices of dissent, we could say, okay, well, maybe our duty is done here. We should go home. But there aren't any voices of dissent on, on nearly any cultural issue. So I believe for those who are called and have the opportunity, they need to take that stand and they need to, and they need to you know, suffer the consequences. Well, we would call that in scripture. Uh, We would call that following the example of the prophets who were social, spiritual commentators Mm -hmm. on the lives of the Kings and on the lives of the nation Mm -hmm. that they were prophesying to. So we have examples of them prophesying to the nation of Israel. We have them prophesying to uh, the nation of Assyria, the nation of Babylon, Mm -hmm. uh, the Medes and the Persians. And so we, we have the example of the prophets. Christ tells us to be a city on a hill and says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for mm-hmm. they persecuted the prophets before you mm-hmm. because a church that is healthy, as you just said, is a church in many respects, a, um, maybe not an overwhelming respect, but certainly have a, as a healthy voice of descent mm-hmm. from the cultural drift. And especially now in our, in our society, when that cultural drift is towards hedonistic, collectivistic, secular humanism, mm-hmm. where man solves all of other man's problems at any cost. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate that point that you just made. And that's kind of the, would you understand it in that same biblical category that the, the, the prophets uh, yeah. trying to win the nation back to the listening to the word of the Lord? Well, it, it made me think about one of our earlier conversations about, is it right to criticize the government? Right. And you're right. The, uh, the life of the prophets was in many cases uh, full of criticism of the, of the, of the prevailing government. And, um, and, you know, uh, and that was well within what they were called to do. So I think that, uh, you know, uh, just criticism, just um, um, pushback against unjust laws is appropriate and in fact required. And we've seen many Christians, uh, someone mentioned earlier, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others who pushed back against unjust governmental overreach. And I think it's, uh, you know, the duty of Christians is to be salt and light. And salt by nature diffuses into every section of the thing that it's put into. It doesn't just sit in one corner. And so we can't just, you know, sit in our homes and, and hope th- that things get better. 
um, we need to uh, impact all areas of life. Whether or not it bears shame. That's right. Right. Standing up for right. what is right is, is important uh, and it's a way to love our neighbor. So, you know, again, thank you for your time. Uh, I really appreciate the way that you articulate things. It helps me understand, um, our position as a church within this uh, grander spectrum of society mm-hmm. and uh, really appreciate your time again. So thanks for being here uh, for more information, go to the Liberty coalition, Canada.com and check out all of the resources that we have there. God bless you, Derek. And uh, you know, we really appreciate your voice, brother. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. Tim, what do you think about the problem of Christians also saying, well, you know what, whenever the public doesn't like what you're saying, it's your fault? Yeah, that's that's a conversation I've had with one of our elders uh, in depth. And what he continually points out is that Christians are becoming experts at self-censoring. So often we'll muzzle ourselves before we get any pushback because we just assume uh, how people are going to react or we're we assume that they don't want to hear it or we assume that there's no space for, you know, the Christian dialogue in the public sphere. And I think it's because that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of getting negative feedback, negative press, regardless of whether we feel something's true or not. We got to stop taking responsibility for how people feel about the truth. I think that's the bottom line. And we take way too much responsibility for it. Um, Is there any way that you can sum up or summarize or give us something to go out with? How can we practically respond to this? Is there anything that Christians could do in a way that's manageable um, to take it from the philosophical, maybe into the street level? Do you have any takeaways for us, Mike? Yeah. So there are two very specific takeaways, particularly as we uh, think about Pastor James Coates sitting in his jail cell right now in Alberta. First of all, these uh, health measures, you heard it from an MP right there. These health measures have not been challenged constitutionally. So I think it's premature for um, words like unlawful uh, to be used. The, the ability to uh, speak up and act in the way that is according to your conscience uh, has been a tradition in this country. It's been a fundamental freedom, uh, particularly with opening up your church and going to church uh, we have been given the right and the bar, as you heard in the episode, is being peaceful. And so the reason why these uh, emergency measures are so drastic is because they're changing that, and yet they have not been ruled on in court. So we've heard friends talk about this. Um, I think an important takeaway is that Christians need to be motivated to get out to church, be obedient to God. And right now we're going to have to deal with how people um, think that that's unlawful, but it's, it's really just not been tested in court yet. So the, that would be my first takeaway. It's time for us to get back to the simple Bible believing. We're not overly fearful uh, people. We have the hope of the resurrection and, um, We're going to love our neighbors um, by showing them how to worship God. And the law currently is not proportional, as you heard uh, MP Derek Sloan say. And we need to then challenge it 
against our constitution by, by acting against it. Yeah. I, I want to say just quickly, when you look at the Protestant tradition, the Catholic church uh, declared the common language translation of the Bible anathema. It was to be accursed because they didn't want just an average person picking up God's word and interpreting it for themselves. Well, in the same way, I mean, that's the responsibility that we carry and we cherish as Protestants, that we get to read our own Bibles and challenge anybody who would speak out in a way that distorts the Word of God. Well, the same thing applies to the law. We have laws that are written in our language for our own interpretation. And as citizens, to comply with unlawful uh, measures is, is really to subvert the laws that we stand for and that we cherish here in Canada. So that's just a, that's an important point for us to understand our own laws and to actually abide by them and to be lawful citizens. So the second point on the idea of your tone is always the most important thing. Uh, if you're controversial, you're going to hurt your witness again. And, and you know, you and I joke about it and we just want to say to Christians and pastors, like, damn your nuance, right? Like grow up, let's obey God's word. Let's let the cards fall where they may and stop micromanaging uh, all of these responses that you're hoping to get. Like preach the gospel boldly, uh, live the application of the gospel boldly and go back to being that uh, fool for Christ who preaches the resurrection of the dead. It almost sounds too simple. Yeah. I can't wait to shoot that episode. And I, 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 that's close to my heart. Absolutely. The Lord manages the results and uh, let's be careful what we're saying that it's true, that it's glorifying to God and again, that let the results be what God determines them to be. So this is a new one for pastors and Christians. You know, we've just come out of the marketing age of the church where everything has to be perfect for everything to go to church. And now we've got a whole bunch of rebel uh, lawbreakers who just want to live life freely asking the church, what do we do? And a safe church is not going to give them that answer. A, a, a faithful church, a godly church will give them that answer. And you know, uh, we've got to just, yeah, I've been told that, um, that we should, we should get back together for church when our communities are ready for us to get back to church when they're comfortable with it. And that's just, that's a sad byproduct of the idea that what people think of the church matters more than whether or not the church is on to the truth or does what God says or any of that. So we, we have some work to do, but, um, tune in, stay with us at Lion site. Hopefully we're going to help you uh, think, decide, and act according to the standards of Scripture in a way that glorifies God and brings His kingdom uh, into this world as it is in heaven. And so it, it's great to have these resources. We're glad for Derek's input. Mike, uh, thanks for your work. Thanks, Tim. And everybody, you can uh, check out libertycoalitioncanada.com. It's just one of the organizations that I'm working with, uh, particularly trying to uh, help end the lockdowns. So uh, Derek was talking with me in that context and we're just so happy to have him with us so uh thanks uh tim for hosting us again today god bless you all right on thanks for joining us on lion sight the podcast for dark times we'll talk to you soon